Welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Mind. Our goal on the RMR is to help marketers move from subject matter experts to strategic business partners. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Scott Wright. Scott? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm the Senior Manager of Marketing Operations at Dataminer. I'm a Fearless 50, Marketo Fearless 50 alumni and a Revy winner way back in the day. I've uh, been in the marketing operations space for a little over a decade now and happy to be here. Wonderful. And thanks for coming. And I'm excited. We're going to get a little bit nerdy today because one of the topics we found was close to both of us was lead scoring. And we have lots of opinions and I'm so happy we get to talk through it. So thank you for coming. Happy to be here. Let's talk about like the traditional lead scoring process historically, what we've seen in the market and maybe how it's changed a little bit over the years. Sure. Well, it's something that's definitely evolved quite a bit over the past several years. As new technology comes out, new functions come out. I think historically, we started at a very basic place, maybe scoring on a few basic marketing interactions, maybe a few demographic traits like a job title or a function, something similar to that, and really just tying it to a simple number. I think what we found as this has progressed is that a simple number doesn't really cut it anymore. You need more variables. You need more points that you're evaluating to get a true representation of the quality of the lead. So I think we're seeing an evolution that goes into much, much more data points and a much more accurate representation of what a quality lead is. Yeah. Yeah. And to dig into that just a little more, I think what I've seen historically, let me know if this lines up with you. For example, in Marketo, you have the demographic plus the engagement score. And we're really only scoring within Marketo, the programs and activities that we have present in that platform. And some tools I've seen even take inbound interactions with sales. They, they take into consideration outreach and those other tools now. But I still see, I think the next thing that's going to change, so there's two things. One, I see that some companies have tried to put machine learning in place, but marketers have had to learn to be very cautious about that if they're at a small company with a small data set. Have you seen that? I definitely have. I've actually come across that myself. Yeah. I believe there's a place for AI. I think it's an important function. I think it's where our industry is going. Um, you see more and more AI platforms pop up or functionalities pop up. Sure. I think it should be incorporated, but at a reasonable level. For example, I've seen it used in the past where it was about a 10 to 20% weighting in the total score, whether that be an account scoring or lead scoring. So it wasn't the whole scoring model. It wasn't based around this AI element, but there was a, a small weighting tied back to that AI model. And typically, I've seen that tied back to like an ABM platform, something like Terminus or Demandbase or Sixth Sense. I found that their intense scoring and tying that into it has been fairly reliable. Oh, I love that. Laying on intent. We also suggest doing that, but don't see every company doing it. That's a really great, that's just a great layer on top of what we traditionally did with engagement and uh, demographic. And I've actually had to tear out some of the AI tools with companies that were sold on the tool a little too early. So they only had like 150 opportunities total in their system. And there's just no way that's going to meet the minimum data set. So I think when you're looking at adopting anything with AI, you need to look for a vendor that's honest about the minimum data set required to do something meaningful. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. You also have to give it enough time to properly learn. So I wouldn't recommend incorporating any kind of AI without it being thoroughly vetted first. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you have to pump in reliable data into your lead scoring model. So 
you'd have to thoroughly vet it and make sure that it is properly giving you what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you also need to pay attention to what you're optimizing for. So at companies with smaller data sets, I have seen optimizing for meetings work successfully. Ultimately, we all want to optimize for revenue, but sometimes you have to change the uh, endpoint if you don't have enough information to go on. Have you had experience with that? Yeah, I would say in my experience, it's usually been tied back at the opportunity level. But in my conversations with sales leaders, meetings do come up quite a bit. So that's absolutely an element that's worth considering. I think one key takeaway that I would like to express during the course of this uh, this chat is to think outside of the box. There's no one-size-fit-all solution that works with every organization. If something like meetings is solid for your organization, absolutely, that should be pursued. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll come to find what those real points are by having those conversations with sales leadership, marketing leadership, and just having simple focus groups with those members as well. Um, so you can see what the frontline teams are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And one caution, cautionary tale I would throw out there in terms of optimizing for meetings is ensuring that if you have two separate teams handling the meetings versus the full cycle of the sale, that they're aligned on what a qualified meeting is. Because if you have a team who's just looking to meet with whoever will bring them in the door and it doesn't necessarily connect to a decision maker, you're optimizing for the wrong data point potentially. That's absolutely true. I've seen this happen with AES GR pairings quite a bit. Typically, a validation layer is needed for that. I've seen it to where an SDR will take the initial meeting and then bring in the AE once ready. The AE can then vet this, the conversation, the meeting, and the opportunity. Once it's deemed fit, then it's a validated state. And that's what you can determine to be a proper meeting qualified or free scoring. I like that. So like layering on like an approval status or something like that on top of your your ideal profile? Yeah, exactly. That, that takes you to the next level. It, instead of just getting a meeting like you were talking about, you're actually taking it to the next level. Is it an actual productive meeting? Will this actually result in an opportunity or a sale? So having that, that validation piece and having a, a nice pairing between your AE and your SDRs, if that's the case, is really essential to uh, getting a more accurate result. Great. So I think up to this point, we've talked about some of the more edgy, like edge case nuanced factors when it comes to lead scoring. I'd love to talk about the more common missteps we've seen implemented over the years and how to avoid them. Yeah, I think a lot of the missteps that I've seen comes from lack of communication with all the teams involved. Yes. Something that I see constantly is marketing will get in their head what their ideal lead looks like. And that doesn't always line up with what the sales teams think about. Um, I think oftentimes marketing is kind of in this position where we're throwing leads over the wall, thinking they'll stick because it makes sense to us. But really going back and having those relationships with the sales leaders is essential to this and having proper communication. And one major piece of advice that I have for any marketing operations individual out there is to have a strong relationship with your SDR teams. Your best feedback, in my opinion, comes from your SDRs and your BDRs. They're the front lines. They're the ones that are calling these people. In most of the cases, they're the ones that are dealing with the majority of the MQLs that you send over. So building a strong relationship with the SDR, BDR leadership team is essential. And having focus groups with the SDRs and the BDRs, it's a great way to get a start on your scoring model and understand what really resonates and what's worked in the past. I think... Another element to this is also making a data-driven decision. 
again, we can think we know what's best, but when we actually pull the data, we could see a completely different story. So doing a full analysis, look, look at your closed one opportunities and your deals. What kind of titles showed up there the most? Really take a deep dive and understand what is isn't working. Don't just assume, confirm it. And you can do that with data. Yeah, those are great points. I'm also thinking back to a prior conversation I had with Mike Burton about rolling out intent. And I think it applies really well to engagement where he he recommended or he saw that the most successful companies weren't necessarily doing a full rollout all at once. They were working with a segment of the sales team and getting active feedback on a continuous basis to, one, ensure that they're rolling out the right data set or scoring model. And then two, that feedback mechanism and, and watching whether or not that subset of salespeople had more success than the general population really helps bolster your theory and turn it into something that people can embrace and celebrate. Oh, absolutely. And that ties back to that recommendation of having a good relationship with your SDR team. Mm -hmm. In my experience, they're always happy to try new things. And they're actually a great organization to reach out to so you can do those layered tests. So you can run a structured test or simulation to see how well those leads actually end up. And that's actually something that I've done quite a bit in the past where I'll identify a specific team, give them all the instructions, say, here's everything that's rolled out to you. Here's the lead scores. Here's the type of profiles that we're seeing. Go ahead and call these, see how these go, and then we'll, we'll adjust as needed. So those constant focus groups and feedback sessions are essential to a proper rollout. Now, this is also very nuanced, but I'm wondering how how have you navigated differentiating between whether the profile is wrong or the message is wrong? Yeah, that's a hard one. I think that's yeah. something we struggle with constantly. Going back to those feedback sessions, I mean, you really have to take a holistic approach when you're analyzing that type of thing. Data, as I've spoken about before, is really important. You can always tie back results to your personas if you have things structured properly. So you can see what is resonating and what isn't. Um, I think it really takes looking at multiple factors to get a proper opinion about it. Um, you have to look at what you're actually offering, who's using it, feedback from the sales teams, what data is being generated from that, and then making your decision from there. But really, you need a holistic approach when trying to make that kind of assessment. Yeah. And then back to your comment about having a close relationship with the sales team, it's also understanding who your over and under performers are and taking that bit of information kind of helping you weight the feedback. And I think managers are so great at helping us navigate that anyway, but it's it's always useful to understand what that grain of salt should look like <laughs> that you're supposed to take everything with. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you can take it a step further and you can go and actually review some of the sales interactions and see how those conversations go, see how certain messaging actually resonates with the contacts or personas that they're talking with. And you can get a very good gauge just on their response, how well your messaging actually works. Yeah. And I think this is just reinforcing how critical it is to take feedback from sales because they are the ones directly interfacing with people and do get that immediate feedback. It's, it's invaluable. Absolutely. Have you been burned by attribution? Are you tired of fighting with salespeople over target accounts and lead scores? We've all been there, and that's because traditional marketing analytics tools bolt onto your CRM and calculate attribution and engagement scores on the data as it is. And let's face it, most of the time, your CRM data is far from perfect. Caliber Mind is unique because it pulls data from all your sources, not just your CRM, into a data platform. 
CaliberMine unifies your information, which means you can attribute dollars to website activity, standard Salesforce campaign activity, and more without wasting time in spreadsheets. Ditch the spreadsheets and check out a new way to analyze revenue data with CaliberMind at CaliberMind.com. A few other issues I've seen are relying really closely on, like you said, you already brought this up. You have to look at your whole data set. But what I've seen in the past is an executive team member will have a successful sale that they picture in their mind as the ideal and it's a whale. And the majority of your population or your money makers are actually a more mid-sized company, a different profile, and the people you'll be meeting with are a little bit different. So like two things there, one is relying too heavily on anecdotal feedback without checking your data population to make sure that it's enriched properly, you have that information. And then one of my favorite tests is looking at whether or not the supposed high ranked values do indeed convert higher than null values. That That's always like the ultimate sniff test, pardon the grossness, but to me. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And I think one way that I've navigated this before is to come prepared with what options you have available. So do your database analysis, see what fields you have, see what kind of completeness you have on those fields, provide recommendations. When you're going to your leadership team, show them the suite of options that you have available. And it, it helps guide the conversation into something that's more realistic. Also, if you're able to take a data-driven approach, which I think is absolutely essential nowadays, you can come with concrete information on this is what converts, this is what does not convert, and here's what we have available in our database that can reach that conversion point. So really, it's understanding your data and coming prepared and giving a nice suite of options with some data to back it up has worked very, very well for me in the past. Yeah, and I think that also applies to campaign conversion rates and really looking at when you're weighting your model, it's still so arbitrary to me. Like, I think our next evolution is going to be using AI to figure out which actions and which sequence are truly the most valuable. But until then, um, verifying that your lead funnel conversion rates at each point makes sense for the weight you're applying. So while paid search may be really good at getting people in the door, it, it may not be a great indicator that they're ready for a meeting. Oh, that's absolutely the case. And I, I think that's something that we'll have a lot more options with in the future as technology starts to roll out more. What I've found is really relying heavily on the software that's being used and being a marketing operations, controlling your tech stack and making sure that you're giving having software that can actually give you additional reporting layers mm-hmm. has been essential. So having a dynamic content option that can show you how far people are reading into your assets or something that shows you how far they're watching your videos, something that gives you additional tracking layers, um, I find gives you a much better result. I think I'm still thinking through that, to be honest with you, the attribution piece to that and how to Mm -hmm. best quantify that. I mean, there's a few tools that we have at our disposal, things like score decay and scoring higher for recency. So maybe giving higher points if it happened within a seven day period, taking some points away. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good, simple way to kind of address that point, but really getting to, uh, a solid attribution scoring model that takes some deep research. It's something that I'm still working on mm-hmm. um, and I'm excited for what options we're going to have in the future for that. Yeah. Yeah. I've had the privilege of seeing what we're developing and I'm kind of excited, but it's because kind of nerdy and I enjoy these things. So <laughs> it's always fun to see what's new out there. 
So back to feedback mechanisms. So what have you seen work really well in terms of you roll out a model, perhaps you roll it out to a subset, maybe you roll it out to a team. What kind of feedback mechanisms do you put in place to ensure that things are working as expected? Yeah, this is an essential function to a proper lead scoring model. You have to make it as simple as possible. Even if it's a simple pickless field in Salesforce or whatever CRM you're using, build out a proper feedback loop. So if, I mean, you need a disqualification process. Not every lead that you're going to send over is going to be the cream of the crop awesome lead as much as we would hope it to be. Or an actual um, human at times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So building out a proper disqualification process, I've found works very well. So, and you can make it as simple as just a simple pick list option in your CRM, and then also accompany that with a comment field. That way they can provide additional details. But another thing that I found effective is having those focus groups, whether that be biweekly or monthly, and just rotate different sellers and just have that frank conversation and come prepared with examples as well. Pull up profiles, pull up leads. Hey, I noticed we sent this lead over to you a week ago. How did this pan out? Or what did you notice? That's the best way to truly optimize your model. And the first time you roll out, it's never going to be 100%. As much as we hope it would be, it never is going to be. Um, so, Unfortunately. Expect to, yeah, <laughs> expect to continually tweak it and optimize it. And honestly, you're never going to stop. But it's a good thing. And it helps... Uh, with those relationships with the sellers, if you're actually taking their feedback and applying it. Because ultimately, seller confidence is essential to them actually working your MQLs and the leads that you're sending over and having a proper relationship between the two organizations in the company. So really, really show the sellers that their feedback matters and that you're implementing it and it goes a long way. Scott, I really appreciate that you're layering data into even the feedback conversations where you're verifying you're coming with examples. I think that's so smart because when you have a feedback mechanism, it's only natural. If you look at Google or Yelp, you're only going to see the very positive and the very negative and very little of in the middle. And those are the interactions that stick in people's minds. So looking at data to confirm or even contradict what somebody is telling you is, is really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you need an objective mechanism as well. Opinions sway feedback a lot. So one thing that I kind of spoke about before is actually take the initiative and go and listen to some of the calls. So if you send an MQL over, take a listen to that call, that meeting. That way you can get an objective opinion on how well uh, the lead actually panned out. So it's always important to have multiple uh, information sources when you're making a decision or you're tweaking something. So I'd say having an objective opinion there as well is very important. And I think it also goes a long way in establishing respect because you're showing that you can be impartial and not just strictly be seen as siding with marketing every time. I think that's a risk with salespeople where they, they have this natural competitive nature, it's us against them. Anything we can do to smooth over that natural, I don't want to say rift, but we all know it's there. It's a rift. It's, it's just so beneficial. Yeah, it really is. And it's one of the hardest parts of the job, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> constant relationship management and really meeting them halfway or sometimes more. And sometimes it's, it's a give and take. But uh, I, I really I place such a strong emphasis on having strong relationships with the sellers it's ultimately you're in it together and it's, it's important that everyone's working together and communicating properly. Well, and once you win over a salesperson and their career trajectory just goes up, they tend to want to take you with them. Like they're very, once they're your fan, they're very loud fans and that's always good for career growth. Oh, absolutely. 
Glad you've seen that too. <laughs> Definitely. We talked a little bit about making our campaign activity point system more scientific. Let's Let's dig into it just a little bit more. This is a tough one. So we did talk about looking at conversion rates and those sorts of things. Are there any other data layers you would like to add in there that we should be factoring in when assigning points? Yeah, I think looking at, you really have to understand the full interaction. It's no longer okay to just say, this person downloaded an ebook, let's give them a certain amount of points. You really need additional intelligence to properly score the lead. I mean, so many times someone just can just download content and then immediately delete it or they didn't actually read it, but we're scoring them as if they did. Yep. Same goes for, uh, I've seen this happen a lot with uh, event attendees, webinars, things like that. Someone attends an event, you get your maximum amount of points. Someone watches a video, you get their maximum amount of points. So having that additional intelligence that can get it to a granular level, I know this person watched 10% of this video, we're going to have a scoring system that accommodates that. Or they got through 25% of this ebook, they're not going to get full points, they'll get a quarter of that. And the same goes for uh, you know webinar attendees. A lot of the webinar platforms out there nowadays have their own proprietary scoring systems that just automatically feed into the report that you get post-webinar. So mm-hmm. take that into account. Don't just give everyone a flat score for attending an event. Make it appropriate to what they actually did. And that's how you get a much more accurate score. Take it to a little bit more of a scientific level because you're you're analyzing what their actual participation was versus just giving them blanket points. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know of a webinar platform out there that won't give you the duration the person attended. So we're kind of running out of excuses to pile on that extra layer. Absolutely. So let's talk about the B2B Holy Grail, which is layering on account engagement scoring on top of lead engagement. So having the ability to incorporate web activity and seeing that multiple people are engaged on an account do you think that adds additional value? Have you seen that work? Have you tried it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Recently, the scoring model that I've rolled out, it includes both demographic, firmographic, and behavioral elements. You can send over a CEO of a company. That doesn't mean it's a target account. It doesn't mean that they're in your, your uh, what you're trying to reach. So yeah. I, I really think it's important to have a concurrent account scoring model. And it's very easy to tap into as well. And this is something that I've done in the past where I'll build out a full lead scoring model and I'll have all the contact elements and then just bring in a certain weighting from the firmographic side, maybe like a 40% weighting or a 50% weighting. So you're getting those important firmographic elements. You know, the company size is what you're looking for. It's an industry you're looking for. And whatever specific elements that are relevant to your organization is also accounted for. And I found very, very happy salespeople when you can give them that full package. It is such an easy sell. When you're talking about elite scoring model that incorporates demographic, firmographic, and behavioral elements, mm-hmm. you can take it a step further and include other elements like technographic or something Intent. else that's relevant. Intent, of course, mm-hmm. that's uh, relevant to your, your organization and their selling motions. So it, it's amazing the response you get when you start speaking in those other languages other than just this person downloaded an ebook. You're actually talking about who the person is and where they're from and what they're they're working with. Uh, I've seen such positive feedback and response from sellers. Mm-hmm. When you start incorporating those layers, it's like, wow, you're finally listening to me. And it's it's a great response and great reception. 
Awesome. Yeah. And we've actually seen our sales cycle shorten quite a bit because in addition to passing over the people who are the active hand raises, we're flagging accounts that have multiple people crawling all over the website. And that helps the salespeople, even though the person may be anonymous, it helps them understand that, hey, they're probably in the market. And if multiple people are engaging, that's always a good sign. Absolutely. I'll just uh, kind of recap some of my my key recommendations. That's really building a strong relationship with your sellers, particularly the SDR teams. They are such fierce champions for you in your efforts. So I highly, highly recommend that. Um, also, make sure that you're incorporating a data-driven approach and really understanding what data you have available. If you don't have the data available, work kind of strategy to get that data. And then, of course, always make sure you have your feedback sessions and always, always be optimizing. It's not set or forget. It's always optimized. Such great points. And for those people who are new and a little bit intimidated by what we've been talking about, you don't need to make your model complicated to work necessarily. If you're just starting, start with titles and looking at conversion rates with opportunities and seeing and validating which titles you should be looking at. And then layering in, most companies have a pretty good idea of what their ICP in terms of, or ideal customer profile is in terms of account. Those are two great places to start if you need to start somewhere. Totally great. Great. Scott, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Where can people find you online to network? LinkedIn's the best place. It's just Scott B. Wright, and we happy to talk with you there. Wonderful. And for those of you looking for more content like this, check out calibermind.com.